It's all about relationships. It's never about money. It's never about returns. It's never about number of units. It all comes down to building long-term relationships. I think that's been most important lesson for us because at the end of the day, I think even going in the syndication world and multifamily, it's really enjoyable meeting new people and making friends. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guests, we got two for you, are Alan and Elena Neely. Today we're learning their story of going from being busy professionals who also had the side hustle of real estate investing, building a huge real estate portfolio through development on their own, to getting out of that employment through their real estate investments. We're learning about how they pivoted from that active portfolio into more passive investments and generally what it's like to be successful, financially independent real estate investors. There's a ton of great knowledge in this one, very inspiring story, and just a lot of lessons for those out there who are hustling for the real estate investments right now, but want to get into a more passive type of strategy. We also talk about their experience during the Great Recession, what happened in their portfolio around that time, and their thoughts about the market as it stands today. Ton of great lessons in this one. You're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. To date, I've acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate deals. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. Once again, our guests today are Alan and Elena Neely, financially independent real estate investors who didn't start that way. They started as busy professionals who had some trials and tribulations along the way and now are mega successful real estate investors. Let's go. Alan and Elena, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you're investing in now? And then I'm very excited to go through your investing journey and your story. Yeah, Tyler, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, both our story, I don't know, it's like a long route to get to where we're at, but we we both come from very humble beginnings. I wanted to be a pilot in the worst way possible. So I, it took 10 years from the time I got my first job flying till I got to a major airline. And I flew for some major airlines where the captains were ex-Eastern, ex-Branif, ex-TWA. It's kind of like saying an ex-United or Delta pilot because those airlines went out of business. So all of these guys had the same story of one day, if you're lucky, you're going to wake up furloughed for like six months or a year. If you're unlucky, you're going to lose your job entirely. The airline will shut down. So once I got hired at, in 2000 at Alaska Airlines, which I still love Alaska Airlines, once I got hired, we started investing in real estate. So in 2000, we bought the ugliest house in the nicest neighborhood we could possibly afford. And we, we just remodeled the house and then we refinanced it, took some money out, bought another house and we rented out the first house. Now it's called BRRR, but there wasn't a thing back then in 2000. It's just something 
we did. And so we started remodeling the second house. And then I called up an architect. So I wanted to build a house on the lot next door. And the architect came by, looked at the house I was remodeling and said, just give up, just bulldoze this whole thing, build a giant duplex. Each unit will be about 2,400 square feet. So that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And it was in 2004, the bulldozers showed up and it was about a month after I took a 30% pay cut at work. So I was fortunate that I only took a pay cut while they united and Delta pilots, there were some of them lost their pensions and it was a bad time in the airline industry. So all of those lessons that people were telling me along my career path were panning out. And Elena was working at Warehouser and they, most of the upper middle managers, people in their early fifties to mid fifties that dedicated their lives to Warehouser, a lot of them one day just got fired and said, here's two years pay and there's the door. And it was just a shocking time in the economy in the 2000s, you know, oh, oh three to 05. There's a lot of bad news going on. So that just made us develop more and more property. So we started looking for houses that we could buy, put a tenant in there or keep the tenant in there and just barely make the payments while we got plans and permits to expand the lot. So we looked for location, terms, and expandability, and mainly at the Alki Beach area of Seattle, which is really nice, and then also Green Lake part of Seattle. That's where we focused on building our townhomes. We kept them all as rental property. And then in about in 2017, I finished an eightplex and it just wore me out. And we hit our magic number. It's like, hey, look, we retire. We've hit our number. And then we can't retire because our cash flow is like one and a half percent on the equity. So like return on equity was about one and a half percent in Seattle. We had 50% equity and everything we had on average, but we just couldn't retire. So then we started looking at other markets and did some trips to Texas. And then we discovered there's cash flow there. The landlord tenant laws were going downhill in Seattle. Yeah. In a big way. So. <laughs> So we started selling our properties in Seattle and buying, we tried to buy our own apartment in Texas, but I couldn't, the deals I found, I didn't think were that good. So we got into real estate syndications, just met people at meetups and conferences, found some people that we liked and trusted. And so by the end of 2019, we were in 11 deals as passive investors. It was a huge eye opener on the finances of apartments. I recommend anybody before they go buy their own apartment to passively invest in a big one, you know, 200 units or so. And then COVID hit and I was really worried the first few months. It's like, I've just lost, you know, half of our money. And it turned out to be a blessing owning apartments, at least in Texas during COVID, everything was fine. And then we came in about late 2020, we started being general partners. So now skip ahead to today, we're general partners in eight apartments, averaging around 200 to 300 units. And we're limited partners in 13 deals. And as limited partners, we've had six go full cycle to where we've, you know, gotten our returns back, the property sold and life's good. Awesome. That's great. And quite the story and progression there. I'd love to rewind the clock to as you were growing your portfolio on your own and, and really I'd be remiss if I didn't dig into your experience in the Great Recession because that wiped out a lot of real estate investors at the time. How did that impact you? So we were lucky and it's a 
big lesson of picture markets. We we're just lucky to be in Seattle. Amazon was rapidly expanding in the early 2000s. And we had, you know, big, bright, shiny townhomes. And 60% of our tenants or more worked at Amazon. They were all six-figure incomes. We never chased rent. A couple of times we had to reduce our rent like 100 bucks a month. But that was about it. And then we, in about 2007 and eight, we were trying to buy property, but we couldn't make the numbers work. So we said, well, I'd rather not buy anything than pay too much. I don't understand what's going on here. So we missed buying property in 07, 08. At the peak, maybe, yes, we didn't buy any. Maybe it was 2009 or 2010 before yeah, we started yeah. buying properties again. And we bought all the property we could starting in 2010 and got, and again, they were expandable lots. So we basically created a land bank for ourselves. We brought on a partner that wanted to self-finance because he, he loathes banks. So that helped a lot. And so then from 2010 to 2017, we just focused on building townhomes and we were so busy that I ended up leaving my job at Alaska Airlines, but I was a general contractor. I showed up every day and then there were some other circumstances going on in 2010 health stuff. The FAA took my medical. I'm fine, but the FAA won't give it back. But I don't know. It's all good. It's the best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest, is I was forced to quit a comfortable job. And then you really have to reinvent yourself, sort of next level your life, so to speak, and move on. So. I'm thankful for leaving Alaska Airlines. I still love that place. We're free for, you know, we're like MVP golds or whatever. Alaska is about the only airline I'll buy tickets on. But uh, yes, the downturn, we just, we didn't buy anything at the peak and we and just kind of watched yeah. everything crumble, figuring when's a good time to buy now. And I think we really stick to our criteria where it has to be a good location and the debt amount has to make sense. So. We were planning to build a home, but if it doesn't sell at that market, what can we rent it for and how can we carry that mortgage to make sure that rent will pay it and we're not upside down on the property. So we really, and I think until now too, we kind of try to stick to certain criteria and don't find a story to get out from that. So in that point, we were very conservative with underwriting and just making sure that if the property in new construction doesn't make sense to sell it, we still can rent it and will not be underwater financially if we have to do that. Well, it's awesome that you had that level of discipline then when everything was so hot, everybody was buying real estate right at the peak. You couldn't go wrong, right? But you remained disciplined, which is great and, and probably you know saved your portfolio at the end of the day. Yes. So you got to the point, you said around 2017, where you're realizing that the portfolio wasn't producing the cash flow mm -hmm. that you wanted being there in Seattle. And I would assume, I'd right, infer that at that time, you probably had a lot of long-term capital gains accrued. You might have a big tax bill if you sold those properties and repositioned. How did you kind of work through that problem of repositioning your portfolio into the syndication deals? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing was not even capital gains tax. I think the biggest thing was for us to change the strategy. And for me, it was changing the mindset because my long-term goal was to have that single family portfolio and keep focusing on paying it off so we don't have any debt and then just 
keep renting and managing it. And then Alan really had to talk me into looking in the analysis on what that equity is doing and not doing. And, you know, that Warren Buffett saying that if you don't make your money work for you, you will be working for your money till the day you die. So that equity basically was sitting there on paper. It looked great. It kept appreciating. But we couldn't use that money in any way. We couldn't have flexibility or freedom with our time. So we really started looking at different markets and different areas. And that's how we came to multifamily. Yes, the capital gains tax was an issue, but it's always evaluation process, whether you pay capital gain tax now and then deploy your funds or you find other avenues where you can defer the tax. And that's how we came to multifamily and to the apartment syndication world. Yeah, there are, we went to a few conferences where the, everybody said, if you just sell your property and you invest in another apartment, you can do bonus depreciation and it'll all be good because all of the appreciation rates off in the first year. There's several gates that you have to pass through to get that. And we didn't qualify for that. So in many, we did one 1031 exchange into the best property we've ever bought. Not financially, but for our soul. Financially too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Financially too, it's turned out really good. But we just paid the tax. In many cases, capital gains is 15%. It's still less than if you're an employee somewhere. So yes, it hurts writing six-figure checks to the IRS for multiple years. At the same time, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I don't like funding the government because there's a lot of waste, but I never felt I was kind of happy to write the checks and be done with the properties in Seattle and move the money to work and make hopefully more money in Texas. Mm -hmm. And so far that's come true because we think the massive appreciation mm -hmm. had ended for us because we were super forced appreciation by building new units. I think that's the most appreciation you can get is by scraping a building and building new units on the lot, like an aplex or something. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that that is quite the the undertaking as well to get into. And I think sometimes folks will see that capital gain tax bill. Now, I'm not a huge fan of writing those big checks either, but if it's if that's the difference between sitting in a very suboptimal investment and getting into something that better suits your goals and needs, then might make sense to to write that check. But the 1031 exchange that you did, how did that process go? How did you structure that shift from a, the, your own deal into a more passive deal? How'd that work? It, it was pretty good. So we sold, we built one single family house. Well, we built like duplexes with a house behind it or something. But this one, we built a McMansion and we lived in it for a few years and then we turned it into a rental, but it was for more than two years. So we couldn't sell it using all of those rules and yada, yada, yada. So we sold it at a 1031 into a VRBO property. And that has its caveats of you can't stay there for more than 15 days in a year for the first two years. Now, go talk to your accountant. Don't take my word for it. Oh my God, please double check. Just don't take my word. I'm no accountant. But so that's what we did. And then it was like it was about four years before we could actually find the time to go spend more than 15 days there anyways, mm -hmm. but it worked. It's the best property we've ever bought, to be honest. We have a something sitting over in Hawaii that we can, well, there's, it's always full of tenants, but you know, we can go to Hawaii a year out. We have to plan it. 
But yeah, it's all good. That's awesome. Well, we had originally connected on an online networking event for a, mm-hmm. a, an IRA company, and you guys were in Hawaii yeah, at the time. Yeah, I guess yeah. you were yeah. at that rental. That's great. That's great. So fast for a, a go, progressing further into your syndication investing experience, especially the the LP limited partner investing side. Do you think based based on or due to your own real estate investing and development experience prior to that? Do you think you brought a different perspective or skill set or anything along those lines to evaluating a passive syndication investment compared to somebody that might come from the outside? I, I'm not sure. I, I'm one of those guys that'll overanalyze and you know overanalysis leads to paralysis. So I looked at several deals and I'd spend like two days re-underwriting the underwriting before I'd passively invest and I could never find the perfect deal. And then finally, it's like, you know, I like these guys. I'm just going to do this deal. And then I call around to other general partners that know those general partners. I go, oh, no, they're good guys. They'll do great. Don't worry about it. The apartment community has so much giving of knowledge and sharing of knowledge. It's just shocking to me. You could call a GP and go, hey, what do you think of this other GP? And for the most part, they will truthfully tell you, oh, he's a good guy. He's solid. You won't have a problem. I was a, I've invested passively in his deals. It's just really nice to see that. So after I got over over analysis, it became a whole lot easier to where we just, we like these guys. We trust these guys. They have a track record. Let's do this deal. There's still some deals where it's like, I don't, you know, we want, we're hyper-focused on what we want. And if it doesn't fall in that, I don't care who the GP is, I won't do the deal. And I think for, because we have a local meetup in Seattle too, and we work with a lot of passive investors as GPs, and there is really a blend of some investors who are seasoned real estate investors, and there are some really new, we have a lot of investors who work in the IT business and who are not ready to retire yet, but they're starting at the younger age to invest in the apartments. And they ask very sophisticated, very smart questions. And I think there is just the quality of not being shy to ask questions and ask for explanation and really to see what communication styles GPs have, how much information about the deal you have, how voted it is by the lender, by the property management company. So I think it's just taking time to educate yourself But then I don't think it depends how much experience you have in real estate. I think it's just more about being inquisitive and getting all the data and all the answers to your questions, no matter how simple or how sophisticated questions are and kind of what's important for you, what's your core, what do you want to see in the deal and the GPs. So I think there is a mix of both worlds and people who have extensive real estate experience and some who are just starting and really don't want to do the landlord route. We kind of had to build our portfolio that way because we started with nothing. And that was the only way we could figure out how to build their financial independence. But for somebody who is starting with some capital or has high paying job, I think it's a great opportunity to invest passively as well. Absolutely. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about your thoughts on where things stand in the real estate market today, particularly given your experience in the run-up to the Great Recession and, and not making investments at that time due to 
not seeing like an exit strategy or, or a cash flow plan that really worked for your criteria. So what are your thoughts about where we stand today, just generally in the, in the real estate market? I was on a podcast the other day or a webinar or something, and the guy said only 10% of all apartments in the, of apartments are owned by syndications. The other 90% are owned by families. Typically, they're very well-heeled people that can weather a downturn. They've already refinanced the property with low rates with longer-term seven to 10-year holds in mind. So it's only about 10% of the apartments with syndications and probably half of those. People signed bridge loans that maybe shouldn't have three years ago or two years ago, and now they have to refinance. So I don't think there's going to be a big crash and a bunch of properties on the market. And there's some syndicators and apartment owners have huge relationships with their brokers, highly high level brokers that, you know, they'll never return my phone call, but they'll <laughs> call up the people we know and say, Hey, I'm going to go golfing in Palm Springs. I'll, you know, you want to jump on my jet and we'll go or something weird like that. Or they'll have their little jet card. I don't know how they do it. All of the really, really good deals, I think are going to go to very well-heeled, assured-to-close type of syndicators or apartment buyers. I think I don't see a big crash coming at all. I think there might be a, there should be a little bit of a devaluation. I hope so. It's because I'm trying to buy something too. But, you know, at the end, it's the financial engine that's got to run. So if interest rates are really high, then you have to lower the sale, the sales price to make the math work. So I think there'll be a softening, but I think it's going to be short term. If you look at when the Fed starts to raise the sulfur, or it used to be the LIBOR, but well, as soon as the Fed starts to raise their rates, I'm getting ahead of myself. As soon as the Fed starts to raise their interest rates, on average, since about the mid 80s, it's 2.1 years until they start to lower the Fed rate again. So if you go back to, I think it was March 16th of 2022, and you go 2.1 years ahead, it's like April of 2024, the rate should be heading down. And I kind of think it might be even sooner than that. I think either late, like, you know, October, December this year, or maybe January, February next year, I think the rates are going to start heading down. I hope I'm right, but who knows? Hard to look in the crystal ball and be sure, but I appreciate your thoughts. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I think a condo in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
We always work hard. We always set goals. She set a goal first of she wanted a condo in Hawaii. And I didn't think it was any way, shape, or form we could afford one. And it was, when push comes to shove and we finally did it, it was a really easy reach. And we did it in like five years instead of 10, like we thought it'd take us. And it's just good for the soul to take some of your hard-earned money and put it to something that you and thoroughly enjoy yes uh, yes no it's turned it, out really great yeah, yes during covid we had to carry it because it was on the island of Kauai, so i had to you know for a year it sat vacant but it was a it was a small price to pay to keep it i think mm-hmm. yes nice that's awesome well we had the best investment now we go to the other side of that coin this one's a little bit more painful the worst investment what is the worst investment you ever made we bought two pieces of property off of a bank and we got them for so cheap as ridiculous. And we, the proper, the both little houses are side by side. They really needed bulldozed. We probably could have put some money in them and save them, but we decided to build a 46 unit apartment on it's where the land is. And then the city, when we started, they go, oh, you know, you got to build like five commercial spaces and oh, no, you need two elevators and you need to bury the power lines in the alley. You need to widen the alley and pave the alley and everything just got two staircases, two elevators. We still got 46 units in there, but it kept getting smaller and smaller. In the end, we finally got the permit after Two and a half years. years, It was a fight with the city and a bunch of neighborhood reviews where the neighbors got to come and shout at us about, there's no parking. It's like, (laughs) you know, according to the code, we need 48 spots and we have like 55. There's, we're, we're providing too much parking, you know? So we finally got the permit. I decided that's over my head to try to build that on my own as a general contractor, like everything else we built. So we sent it out to some contractors and one of them offered us money. He kind of knew exactly what we had into it. He's a sly dog that way. So he offered us money. We could get out of it with a very small profit. Yeah. Not much profit. So so we sold it and ran. I was happy. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been so happy. You know, we made a profit, but it wasn't, it wasn't even six figures. But we didn't lose money on it. But we didn't lose money. Just two years. So, as a syndicator, we had just had our worst deal just sell. It was somewhere around a fourteen percent IRR over three and a half years, and I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, we should have doubled our money, but you know, fourteen percent a year for the last three and a half years, considering everything that went on in the world, I'm pretty happy with that. Totally. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It's all about relationships. It's never about money. It's never about returns. It's never about number of units. It all comes down to building long-term relationships. And that's, I think that's been most important lesson for us and kind of the way we've been doing things because at the end of the day i think even going in the syndication world and multifamily it's really enjoyable meeting new people and making friends 
And for a long time, everybody thinks how soon I can retire and I can leave the job and I can retire and do nothing. But there's really not a lot of fun in that. So you continuously need hanging out with people and building new relationships and deepening the ones you already have. So I think for us, at least for me, that's definitely been the most profound lesson in life. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with her. It's, I never thought about leveraging relationships and friendships and that kind of thing. Once you start in the real estate syndication, you really learn how much you can leverage somebody else's knowledge, time, finances, experience. Experience. It's just huge what if you team up as a general partner with a very experienced general partner, everything's just so much easier. I highly recommend going that route other than trying to figure everything out yourself and buying your your own apartment. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Well, our website is andoverholdings.com. And I think it will be the easiest to reach us by email. It's info at andoverholdings.com. And we're always happy to connect and answer any questions and share our story. And also, Alan just had a book published, Next Level Your Life. And we'll have that book available for download as PDF. It's um, stories of highly successful people who had some difficulties to overcome, and they share their stories and experiences. So we're happy to share the PDF for that book with your listeners. And thank you so much for having us, Taylor. Yeah, thank you, Taylor. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me today. And thanks for sharing all these lessons with our audience to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.